Hi, Mama Doc friends. It is Laura. I am bringing you um, episode six from season three of the Mama Doc's Power Podcast. I apologize. I usually get them out on Thursday. It has been a emotional, busy week. Um, it is Friday, November 6th, which is the Friday after our election day. I was emotionally distraught in the last 24, 48 hours. Um, and I wasn't able to get the podcast out yesterday. I'm sure many of you are very busy this week, but if you have time and you are running right now, I am cheering you on. Um, I'm joining you on your long run, and you have picked a really great podcast um, to play today. Um, I have Dr. Rebecca Andrews as my guest today, and she is just a fantastic mama doc. Uh, she is Rebecca Ann on Facebook, and she is a full professor at the University of Connecticut. Um, she has two beautiful boys and is a single mom, and we talk about life and running and her career. Uh, she recently uh, went through a transition with her oldest son, who is a transgender uh, male, and he's in college now, and she dropped him off at college at the beginning of this school year, so we so much to unpack there. Um, and we talk about her friendships, um, her Yaya, who at the end we talk about her best friend. Um, so stay tuned to the very end. I could have talked to Rebecca forever. Um, I hope I do get to meet you, Rebecca, if you do end up listening to your podcast. But for everyone out, um, else out there, just sit back, get your miles done, and enjoy my conversation with Rebecca. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Can you hear me well? okay? I can hear you fine. Great. Hi, Rebecca. <laughs> how are you? Oh, I'm good. Thank you so much for making time for this. Oh, my pleasure. This is phenomenal how far podcast recording has come. I remember trying to make a podcast like seven years ago, and it was so much more complicated. I know. That's why this, because of this app, I like that's why we exist because it's literally like oh just press a button and then it's like it's just like a phone call basically so it's great uh what's going on with you today Rebecca I am screening thousands of applications for residency to pick the 500 will interview so wow. it's a you know it's a boy the interviews are fun but screening applications is very tedious it does sound tedious well I'm glad um we could be like your break today I so. know I really appreciate <laughs> yeah that, well I just want to introduce you to those listening this is Dr. Rebecca Andrews you go by Rebecca Ann on Facebook and you are a professor at the University of Connecticut is that right that is Awesome. And what do you do for them? It sounds like you do a lot of education. Yeah, I kind of um, have developed a position that's sort of three-pronged, I guess, is the best way to describe it. I'm a primary care physician, which I absolutely love. And I get to sort of dovetail that into my work as a medical educator. Yeah. So I'm an associate program director for our internal medicine residency program. And I run the ambulatory education part, and I kind of wrap in a few special training tracks we have embedded within that program that I got to create and have sort of directed for the last, I don't know, maybe eight years or so. And then the third part of what I do, I never anticipated doing, which is both, you know, some administration, but also some research. So I do um, chronic pain research and education, which has been a lot of fun, just not what I anticipated my career would be. <laughs> wow, that's a lot. That's crazy to do, you know, so much. The program direct, even just that on top of like, it sounds like you have some clinical stuff and research stuff. Wow, you are super busy. It's good. But you know, just when you find one is sort of wearing on you, 
switching to another role is sort of rejuvenating in a way. It's hard to explain. Maybe I just can't focus on any one thing for too long, but it has definitely kept me um, sort of resilient and not burned out. So I, I like it. Wow. And what is being a program director and screening applications and looking at applicants look like in this like COVID age? Like what is going on with applications? So I'm only the associate program director, which is the best job in the whole world. The program <laughs> director <laughs> comes a little bit more. And I have a great program director that lets me sort of specialize on curricula, which is which is my thing. Screening apps is is challenging, you know, like trying to pull out a 3D image of someone from paper is a little bit challenging. Um, and unfortunately, in this COVID world, we're going to be doing Zoom interviews, which hopefully I've been to enough Zoom meetings that I'll be able to put the applicants at ease. They're always a little bit awkward and stilted. There's sometimes a delay. So it will be different. I, I like interviewing. I think it's like meeting a patient for the first time. One of the goals as a physician is to be able to put them at ease and really get to know them. And my program's awesome. We do holistic reviews. We are not one of those programs that just screens by your test scores or your transcript. So hopefully it will go okay. I, if it goes well, maybe this is what all the programs are doing in the future and they'll save medical students a lot of money. Right. No, it, it makes sense. Um, how big is your class? Like how big of your, how many people are you looking for? Um, so we're looking, we, it depends. We look for anywhere from like 34 to 42. Uh, we have a couple of prelim slots and just depending year to year, sometimes we convert those to categorical programs depending on, on what our needs are. But we have about 128 residents in our program in total across three years. So it's a medium to large program. Mm. Do you think COVID has changed anything at all about, you know, what, pro what people are looking for in programs or programs in general? I think so. You know, we really try to be, um, look to diversity in, in our class. So we take everything from American medical grads to um, U.S. citizens that have trained overseas or in the Caribbean and then international grads just so that we can meet the needs of our patients. And, and it really makes a robust class because everybody comes with different skill sets and cultural norms, as well as different strengths from where they trained. And, and this year will be, it'll be different. Um, for the American medical grads in particular, their exposure to patient care was sort of put on hold. Mm -hmm. And now it's like a hurry and catch up phase and I'm sure they're nervous about that. I'm sure they're nervous about how to get ready to be an intern. Um, I don't know if everybody remembers, but I remember my fourth year of med school and what it was like to really feel like I had accomplished my knowledge base and my skill set with patients. And you still had, you were the person on the team that had like the extra time with the patient to figure out that their poor cat was at home and they wanted to leave AMA so that they could feed it. Um, and I think that's probably been missing from patient care. And then the quality of the experience for those med students is, is certainly different. Right. Because I know our hospital sent our third year medical students home in March, which is the class that you're, you know, interviewing, um, you know, ostensibly. And so they did, they missed out in the summer and they became fourth years. And as the hospitals got kind of back to normal, I think some of the fourth year clerkships got, you know, came back, but they certainly uh, missed out on a couple months of clinic clinical experience. Yeah, I think so. they also missed out on that sort of, you know, medicine as a service. You know, the message that we sent was we had to protect them, which was correct. But at the same time, I think they felt like they missed out on that moment to be a part of this one time in history or yeah. hopefully one time in history. Yeah, it's yeah, it was upsetting. I, our medical students did some great um, projects at the time. They like, cause we're in New York city, they um, coordinated um, like restaurants and, you know, different 
organizations that wanted to donate to the hospital and donate meals and all sorts of services. So I know they, they got involved. I really were thankful to our medical students, but yeah, you're totally right. They, they missed out um, on some of that and hopefully they're getting, they're getting what they need right now. But, but anyway, good luck with that. Thank um, you. When did the interview season start? Uh, it's a compressed time period. So I, we start in pretty much 10 days. <laughs> we send okay. out our, our first invites on Monday. Oh, exciting. And yeah. Then, and then you interview for a month or two? Well, usually we'll interview all the way through the end of January. The way it works this year, I believe we're going through the end of February. Everything was kind of pushed back a little bit. So we're okay. starting late, but it's the same number of <clears throat> months, but it's it's a four month long stretch for them, just for us, for everybody. Will we have our traditional match day like every other year? Uh, we will. I don't know if it will be the same year, though. It's traditionally that Friday. Uh, I think it's the second Friday in March. Falls around like the 14th or the 17th. Um, and I don't know if it's going to be the same day. I don't want to look too far ahead because yeah, when that's <laughs> I'm in the midst of interviews I like not to focus it's like running yeah <laughs> I don't want to focus too far down the road and then get let's, discouraged let's just stay in the mile that that we're in right now so um you are also a mom of two boys mm-hmm. um I don't know the your younger son's name but he's a hockey he's a hockey guy yeah I'm one of those crazy hockey moms so David's 12 and he's a super athlete. It's great to watch. He does soccer and hockey, but hockey is his love. Very, very yeah. committed. Yeah. Um, but we That's do really travel hard. a lot. <laughs> it is. I know. I know. Um, yeah, because you're, you're a single mom. Is that right? I am. And, I mean, it's a big time commitment. Like, I just imagine, because the hockey moms that I know either have, like, so much help or they, you know, work part-time or, or not at all, but they like chaperone their sons and daughters, like all over the place. <laughs> they get up because then the, like practice can be really early. So has COVID really, the pandemic affected him? Yeah. So spring, so um, the first thing I would say is my oldest son said it best. There's not hockey players, there's hockey families. It, it's yeah. really... <laughs> a commitment of the whole family just with travel and the season is so long. Uh, so spring hockey got cut short, you know, our regular hockey season ends late February in the spring season in March with COVID just got shut right down. Um, so he was so excited to get back to anything when soccer started and then hockey started. He's, he's been thrilled but there are new rules, masks, you can't hang around, um, you know, and congregate and usually the team is very tight knit. All the parents hang out together. We would do group lunches where we all brought in some part of the meal in between back-to-back games. And some of that camaraderie has uh, decreased just by the nature of limitations and people. Yeah. But Connecticut has been great. We have a, you know, we've been able to continue to practice. We haven't, you know, his team has had no outbreaks. Uh, other teams have come to play for us. For me as a single mom, it's phenomenal. <laughs> I'm not driving to Maine or Philadelphia this year. <laughs> I'm driving a half an hour to our home rank. So I have to say I'm sad for COVID, but what a great year to be able to hang out with him. The um, long rides are good for conversation, but definitely draining. Yeah, I can't imagine doing that when you are working full time or like I guess all your weekends are just driving all over the place, um, typically in other years. Yeah, I have a phenomenal best friend. I always say uh, her name's Analia, but we call her Yaya because that's what David could say when he was little. And I always <laughs> say hey, everybody needs a Yaya. Um, oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, and she has filled in for me on crazy things like starting meals, helping me pick out a birthday present. Oh, you know, moving clothes out of my closet that she thinks I really should not wear anymore because they're from 1980. <laughs> um, just everything. And, you know, a single mom, it, it is sometimes hard to do it alone, but you create a different kind of community, I think. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. Wow, so much, uh, 
so much stress. I guess it's not necessarily just all stress, but um, you need a village. You do. (laughs) Of people. people. Um, Let's talk about your older son, Matthew. Um, He's in college now? Yep. He started his first year at UConn this year. Ah, at your you know, at your institution, you're keeping, yeah. keeping a close leash on him. I see. I know he really wanted to go away. And then, um, the pandemic sort of hit and it really altered a lot of what his and his, his friends chose for school. For me, it was great. Um, it's, it's, I think wonderful to be a single mom, be really close to your kids, but my house was going to feel very empty without him. So I like that he's only about 45 minutes away and I can, uh, well, I can't really snag a visit, but at least I know he's close to home. Yeah, that's, that's very nice. How was, I don't know, that driving him to college and dropping him off and everything. It's like one thing I can't, I can't even wrap my head around. My son is 16 and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going to do that one day. Yeah, it was, um, I think I spent about six months preparing for it. Every time I looked at him, I would get teary and he would look at me and say, oh my God, mom. (laughs) But um, we had a nice, uh, we had to cancel his graduation trip to Europe, which was supposed to be a lot of fun for us. But we did get to go to California and see the Redwoods and we did a road trip, which he's just so good at. He made us a playlist. I spent a lot of the drive crying behind my sunglasses, which he couldn't see. Um, but it was very therapeutic. I, you know, hearing how much he knew about me, um, and some of the things that he said, I took notes on everything when he wasn't looking or late at night. And it was a great sort of preparation for me. I I definitely cried when I dropped him off. Um, we were sort of like roommates by the time he left, just, He's a really special person, very smart, mature beyond his years. And we would talk about everything from, you know, politics to human rights to why he shouldn't have to do his math homework because he already understood it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I think having a trip like that was very therapeutic and cathartic for me. So hard. You really have to change your perspective from being the guide rails and and being able to corral them and help them do what they do to stepping back and advising and just listening in a way that's very different. Um, so it's a change, like every stage of life. Hopefully I'm, I'm adapting with grace, but you'd have to ask him for sure. Well, it sounds like you always had a pretty strong relationship with him. Um, we had not communicated a little bit on text but um Matthew's transgender and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that you know period of time where he made his transition or he came out to you um when was that so he was uh just turned 16 and he had told me about two years before that that he was gender fluid which was hard to hear uh as a mom because I think you have you know, sort of a picture in your mind of what you consider the norm that your child will go through. And and I think with, with any realization, um, there's an adjustment period. But for this, involving so many of our societal norms for gender, it was really a challenge. And um, I couldn't tell his father uh, because he um, really wouldn't understand that, was not nearly as open-minded. So I had a sort of a secret for two years and I think I literally held my breath. So when he told me that he was actually transgender, it was almost like an out of body experience. I said to myself, I can't believe this young man is so self-possessed that he knows this about himself and is able to tell me he knows he's breaking one part of my heart a little bit and he's still able to do it. But on the other hand, it was it was definitely very sad. Um, it's two years later, so I have a whole bunch of a different perspective now. Um, we talk about baby Isabel all the time together um, and all the good things and cool things that she had. And at the same token, you know, we talk about Matthew and and his life. But there's a grieving process that you have to go through because 
it's a new person to learn and love. And I think his line that he said best to me was, I know you think you loved me and you did, but you didn't really know me. So look at this as an opportunity to get to know who I really am. Mm -hmm. And, and that was probably the statement that helped me move through it. Um, and we wrote a letter together to my family and, um, said, you know, we're not looking for, we're not looking for advice. You don't have to accept this is what it is, but we would certainly love, uh, to have your respect, your love, and hopefully your acceptance. And I have a 94 year old grandmother who said you have to, life is one time round. So you have to live it the way you're going to enjoy it. So between all that and looking back and seeing how happy he is, mm. I can see all the signs that I missed. Um, and I think my perspective right now is I got to have the three kids I always wanted. Mm -hmm. Just Isabel was only for a shorter time. Wow, that's an amazing perspective. And, you know, so many elements of grief and loss, but yet, um, you know, celebration of this new person that, you know, must feel like he's set free and that he's, you know, walking through life the way he's supposed to be walking. Yeah. Uh, the, the grieving process was a challenge. Anyone who has gone through this or something similar, it, it's not truly a loss, but it certainly feels like it. Um, and the best advice I can say is just to give yourself time uh, to adjust for him watching someone go through this and really start to love their life and their skin is a beautiful thing. How many mm -hmm. times do we see patients in the office who are just not quite accepting of themselves? So this transition was very interesting. I will say I treat transgender patients in the office and it was a lot easier to be an advocate for them um, before I felt comfortable being an advocate for him it was almost like being on two different planes of acceptance for a while uh, that eventually evened out. Mm. Looking back, did, what, did um, your son express any um, either depression or some kind of, like, could you see signs of him being unhappy um, as a child? Yeah, um, he spent a lot of time, there was a period of time he was in his room a lot, and I told him I thought he was depressed, and he did a lot of crying, you know, and at the time, it was an adolescent female going, you know, at the start of puberty, so I thought maybe it was all related, and I feel really lucky that life just happened the way it did. There was a, a research study going on at the Institute of Living which is a really great psychiatric faci facility that we have for both adults, adolescents, and kids here in Connecticut. And I said, how would you like to do that? And he said, sure. And we drove in every Tuesday for an hour counseling appointment. Um, oh, God, I don't know, maybe a year or 15 months before he told me. And I think that helped him get ready to talk to me about it. But mm -hmm. looking back, I can definitely see that time period. And I knew something was up. Uh, he really didn't want to do the, you know, go shopping for new bras. He stopped swimming. We have an above ground pool and he really didn't want to put on a bathing suit. And I just think I couldn't put the pieces together. And yeah. you figure if I'm a physician who's treating transgender patients, uh, in my primary care practice. And I knew he said he was gender fluid and I still couldn't put it together. It, you know, it's something that the person really has to, unfortunately, usually declare uh, for people to accept and know for sure. But looking back, all the signs were there. Hmm. Does he report, just out of curiosity, when he really knew that he was a boy? Um, he before he told you that, like at the round, the time he told you it was gender fluid or no, even was it was even before that. And he was just putting the pieces together and he couldn't, he couldn't find the words to tell you. Yeah, I think maybe this is the saddest thing was uh, he was in third grade and he said they were sitting at, you know, how they group the students now at kind of tables looking at each other and they were supposed to be 
writing and drawing pictures about what they wanted to be when they grew up. And he said he wanted to be a boy. And the kids in his group sort of chuckled and laughed and said, well, you can't be a boy, you're a girl. And he can clearly recall that moment and that he shut down sort of that avenue of thought. Um, and it just, for me, I wonder what would have happened had society been different and our views on gender and sexuality, you know, been more open or just maybe even a more fluid concept. Would he have been a child that could have come out to me sooner and had, he's had a wonderful life, please don't misunderstand, but you know, I wonder about all those years where he felt like he had to walk around with this secret. He said, um, carrying that secret, you feel it's very hard to hide that. And he said, you feel like you have a wall between you and the people you love most. And so, you know, in, in that way, I think it's most unfortunate. He definitely knew years before he told me. Mm. Was there anyone else that he confided in, like friends or anyone else? He had one friend who he told before me. Uh, he said it's it's funny because you see movies and they talk about coming out as one moment in time. And he said, really, it's a series of moments that are just, it's over and over and over. And especially for someone who is transgender, his whole goal in life is simply to pass as a boy or a man now that he's 18. And so the coming out is of itself is almost painful. He doesn't want to ever have to do that again. Mm -hmm. He just wants to live his life as a man. Um, so he told his best friend and she was very accepting. And he told his boyfriend at the time, who's actually still his boyfriend, and they have been through the transition together, which to me is speaks, I think, to the younger generation and their viewpoint and perspective, at least in the area of the world where I live, it's it's very different than when I grew up. Wow. How long has he been with his boyfriend? Um, two years, I guess, two and a wow. half years. <laughs> I don't like to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind feeding them together at the dinner table on a regular basis. Uh, <sighs> but I think of them as so young and I hope that they can, uh, I want them to be happy, but you change so much 16 to 25. That's right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I had a, yeah, a boyfriend when I was 16 to like 20, I mean, what was it? 19. Oh my goodness. I was like a baby. <laughs> Crazy. Um, how was the, his peer, his other peers in school and all that? Um, I'm sure that was uh, difficult to navigate. So I live in Connecticut and I live in a small town. The school system had a transgender teacher and had had two students go before him. Nice. Um, so it was, yeah, there were some aspects that he didn't love. He, you know, he had to use the bathroom in the nurse's office in the beginning. Um, and I asked him about it. You know, I worry about his safety constantly just with um, the violence that we see for the LGBTQ plus community. And he said he knew there were one or two people to avoid, and he spent most of his time trying to avoid them. Um, but other than that, acceptance was easy. In the beginning, there were a few teachers. It took them a while to learn to stop calling him Isabel. I think our timing was perfect. He came out to me in March. Um, and we, you know, got the school on board at the end of the year, made the transition at the in June, even though there were only three weeks left of school. For him, he felt it was really important to do that so he could start the next year as Matthew. And people sort of would have already been aware of it and it wouldn't have been a change. And then we started physical changes such as a haircut, etc. Um, but his school was was really good, actually. They changed his email name. They changed his ID. Um, you know, when they made a mistake and called him by the wrong name, they corrected and moved on, but didn't um, spend their time apologizing or really dragging it out. There were some hiccups for sure. Things like um, his SAT scores, his AP test scores, because 
He won't legally change his name, I don't think, until right before he graduates college. But his school system and his peers were were really good, very accepting. Uh, even his high school printed up two diplomas, one in his legal name and one in his chosen name, so that when he legally changes his name, he will have it in his hands the way he wants it. Hmm. That's so sweet. That's amazing. Um, the changing of the legal name, is that just when he becomes 21? Um, so in Connecticut, uh, the laws are different all over. Um, in Connecticut, for hormonal therapy, you can use a hormone blocker if there's a physiologic reason under 18, but you can't use hormone like testosterone unless both parents agree or the one who doesn't agree gives up their parental rights. And then legal name change is a very similar issue. Unfortunately, he turned 18 in February of 2020, and he's not the most organized with getting together his paperwork. So when we were ready to make an appointment with the court, COVID hit and everything got delayed and pushed off. Um, And I think you know, trying to figure out the best time to do it that is safe has been a challenge because once he was at college, I don't get him home again until Thanksgiving break and then courts will be away. So I think we'll probably do it this summer. It, it's, okay. there's, there are so many caveats, you know, his passport, his license, how do I change over his 529, the house pay for college. It's all actually uh, overwhelming at times. But there are a couple of support groups that have helped us walk through the steps in the right order. And how has his father been um, with the whole, you know, this whole thing? Has he been supportive or and how involved is he in his life? Yeah, so um, I'm glad that I was already a single mom when everything started. because it, it, it has been very stressful. I'll, I would like both of my children to have a good relationship with their father. And his father is unfortunately not supportive and not understanding at all. And I have pushed for, I have pushed for them to have a relationship. To- Hello. And he has told me recently not to worry about it. The myriad of friends that have created our family in Connecticut have provided him for what he needs. And I hope someday his dad understands, but he he really doesn't. His background is a little bit different and um, and he does not understand at all. I think he thinks it's a, a personal affront to him, which was has been very hard to watch as as a mom. Um, you know, you just want your kids to be loved and accepted. But Matthew is weathering it fairly, fairly well. His brother took a long time, about a year before he could use his new name. He uh, called him M for a very long time. And then right before he went to college, he switched over. But I do think his father not supporting him probably prolonged that process. Mm. You cut out for a little bit. Do they... Um... Do they communicate now or see each other at all? Um, they see each other if Matthew is at my house and his uh, father is coming to see my youngest or, or pick up David for something. Um, and they will see each other for one holiday a year. But unfortunately, that's about it. He chose uh, to have only me bring him to college. And I was pretty much, I was the only one that was at um his graduation as well. So. Mm. And you mentioned, you know, David and Matthew. So that was, sounds like it was, it was difficult for David. It was, David's a a very innocent 12 year old. Um, He's very kind and he's very sweet, but he was uh, very innocent. I think, I don't know about the rest of our group, but as a mom, I, I really try to protect their innocence. So I think, it was hard to watch him struggle with it, but it has been a beautiful experience. His teachers in the middle school and the intermediary school, so fourth through sixth grade, all knew what was going on because, again, it's a small town and helped to find ways to bring in LGBTQ plus 
issues into the classroom and and normalize it for David. Uh, and now and now he's great. He asks why people would care about someone's color of skin or their gender of choice or their sexuality, why they would use that as a criteria for deciding whether or not they were nice or worth spending time with. So in the end, it I think it really, both my, my kids are so accepting of others and a lot of it has to do with this. Right. That's, I mean, you sound like such an amazing mother to be able to share with all of us um, what you've gone through. I just want to really thank you for, for being so open. I mean, it must've been very difficult for you. Um, Did you seek a lot of help in, in this whole process too, or you're just superwoman? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could say, I wish I could say I was superwoman. Um, I, I love being a mom even more than being a doctor, which really surprised me. But, um, but this was very hard for me. I, um, I devote a lot of my love to my kids and no, I, I had to go and talk to someone. Um, I tried out a couple of different therapists and I never really found one that was a particular one that I really liked, but I did find that going and the skills they gave me and the homework they gave me uh, was very effective. And I've spent years <laughs> telling my patients, oh, just find a therapist you really bond with. And I think it almost worked better for me that I didn't because I didn't go in and, and try to cover anything up or befriend them. The fact that she had a very different personality than me, the one I finally settled on, I think made me almost irritable enough when I was in there for, for a session to really say how I felt and what was so hard for me. Um, and in the end, it was probably one of the healthiest things I did. My life has, as a single mom, is so wrapped in my kids that had I not done that and, and really gained some perspective, I think Matthew going to college, whether he was transgender or not, I would be sitting in a puddle of tears every night at home. Um, and yeah. I think it it really helped me see that I had to live a life separate from my children as well, that it was great to be a mom, but just like I can't be a doctor and only a doctor, like how unidimensional is that, that I couldn't only be a mom too. Um, so it, it helped me. Um, it's probably when I started dating again too, because I really had wanted to devote my time to my kids. So, so it was well worth it. I think my view on therapy for myself has changed a lot. If I had another life challenge, I would most certainly um, do it again. I just got really walloped by life. Um, Matthew came out as transgender. My stepfather who raised me died of a sudden cardiac death like two months later. My mom ended up with lung cancer like a couple of months after that. It was just, it was such an unbelievably difficult time in my life um, that I, there was no way I could have done it alone. Wow. That, <laughs> that does sound like a lot. And I'm just trying to absorb everything, all the pearls of wisdom <laughs> I just bestowed on, on me. But, um, I find it so interesting that, um, the therapy that worked or therapist that worked kind of had rubbed you the wrong way. And maybe, maybe that was not a bad thing. So I'm trying to just absorb that right now. (laughs) Like, Oh, maybe if you're trying to befriend someone and have that kind of friend, like um, relationship with the therapist that, that may not be able the best way for you to receive sort of the, I don't know, the information and the feedback um, that you, I know it is kind of ironic, but as a primary care physician, I, I find myself sort of morphing my personality to meld to the person in front of me so that I can help them, you know, absorb my advice and, and sort of get them, um, invested in what I'm telling them. And I think what happens when I do that is when it was my turn, I just wanted the therapist to like me, <laughs> almost like 
finding a new friend. And it, it did not allow me to focus on what I really needed to. Um, and I, and I think that's why it worked. Great. Well, that's, you know, I'm great that, that you found it so helpful. What kind of like homework would she, would they give you? Oh, I would have to do all the things that I definitely don't <laughs> like to do. So I would have to go home and think about exactly what was hard in an in interaction that I had maybe mm-hmm. with Matthew or my significant other. Um, one of the things that I found is I am such a people pleaser that even going to a restaurant, if they gave me the wrong food or it was prepared wrong, I would be disappointed, but I would never speak up for myself, which is ironic because I was a very vocal person when I was younger. Um, And I think being a mom, I just sort of put my needs and wants below my children. And so her process was to help me rediscover those. But that was hard homework. She would say, the next time something happens, your order is wrong. Um, someone delivers something that's wrong, you have to return something. I really want you to be to vocalize that. Don't say it's okay. So we did a lot of work around that, a lot of work around not saying I'm sorry, which is something that I have a, a really good friend that is still helping me with. My first response to everything is, oh, I'm sorry. And I'm working on not saying that because we say I'm sorry about so many things that we don't need to. If we're too busy to do something, then we shouldn't say I'm sorry, I can't. We should just say, oh, I'm too busy, but thank you for the offer. And and that was the work that she started with me. And I thought, to be honest, because I she rubbed me the wrong way, I thought it was ridiculous in the beginning, but it has really helped me reconnect with the fact that I have needs and I should pay attention to those needs. Um, I saw a great meme the other day that said, I'm so tired of people telling me that I should take care of myself as a mom and that that means showering and getting some good sleep. And when you think about that, that's true. (laughs) You know, if I'm a mom and I say I need to go on vacation by myself and recharge, people look at you like you're crazy. Or if you say, oh, I'm going to get a babysitter just so I can have some time alone. Again, people wonder about you as a mom. But showering or eating good food or exercising really shouldn't be the epitome of our self-care. There should be more that goes to that. No, totally. Um, And that's going to resonate with a lot of us. Um, I was just thinking not, you know, it's not just the mothering thing. It's just being a woman in this society, right? That we are constantly saying we're sorry and being... um, drowned out by louder voices and that we have to, you know, apologize for our, our existence, like completely that we are existing and that we, um, you know, we can't even take space. We can't hold space. It's, uh, it's a little bit. That's actually that a way. great way to say it. Um, it's frustrating. And I, I have no yeah. idea why. <laughs> yeah. Well, it shouldn't be frustrating, but I mean, yeah, we somehow have gotten here, all of us strong women who went through medical school, who went through residency, but yet we, you know, can't say what we want when we want it. We it is absolutely insane, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, it resonates with me a lot, um, being a mom of three, but I'm, you mentioned being a multi-dimensional person. And so that's my segue into running because it is one <laughs> thing that you do and we are we are the, we do run in our group. So tell me about that. Um, So I have two best friends. One is a guy named Mike. And then the other one I spoke to about earlier, uh, who helps me with the kids. And um, he thought that running would be a great thing for me to do because it was goal oriented. You could measure your success by whatever you wanted. And you only had to compete against yourself. And it seemed like it was a good idea with the journey that I was already on. Um, And so I probably started running maybe like eight years ago, maybe nine years ago. Um, I had to take two years off with an ankle fracture, but I'm very slow. (laughs) But I have gone from being able to run a quarter of a mile and have to stop to I did my first half marathon this summer. 
Um, I love it. Uh, it is, it is hard for me. And because it's hard for me, it distracts me from whatever stress I have going on in my life, because I really, you have to be so present. And I learned from um, the time with my therapist that it's called, it's a version of rhythmic meditation, hiking and running. Mm. And, And for me, that's exactly what it is. It gives my brain time to work through problems. I do listen to music, but but on the runs that I don't, I, my brain will churn over all the things that are bothering me or something that I'm struggling with. Uh, and it might crop up some, you know, interesting or creative ideas, but that's how I got into it was he thought it would be a good focal point for me that was sort of centering. And the kids definitely know when I'm stressed and Matthew will say, when was the last time you went for a run? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which I hate. I absolutely hate. Mom, you need to so go on a transparent run. to them because I like to think I have it all together. <laughs> so do you run a couple times a week now or do you set goals and kind of go for those and then take breaks or yeah, what does so that look like? I do much better when I'm training for something. So when I was training for the half marathon, I ran most days of the week, probably uh, five days of the week. And I put up, I like to put up a schedule where I get to X off each day that I've done what um, I said I was going to do. And I also cheat and I put it on my calendar of things to do because I am a slave to my calendar. And if I steal the time to run by, by blocking it, I won't miss it. If I don't put that time on my calendar, then three weeks will go by and I will say, Oh my goodness, I haven't run. Um, so I'm much better when I have a goal in mind right now, I'm running only about two to three times a week. Uh, the half marathon, I did great right up to the end and I had an injury right before it. So I wanted to give myself time to heal. Um, you know, Hmm. and then it's a balance. Do you run more when you have a lot to do so you can, you know, sort of burn off some of your stress or, do you take some extra hours of sleep? And it's always a challenge. I'm never sure which is the right one to do. Yeah. When do you run in general? Like early mornings or evenings or you um, do a lunch I'm run? I'm an evening runner or a late afternoon runner. I admire those women that can get up and run in the morning, but I hate the cold. So at least if it's sunny late afternoon, even if it's February or March, I'm much more likely to get outside to run. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> I hate the cold. Uh, um, what injury did you get this summer? Or was it just a slight? Like, no, I, I know, pulled my niggle. groin uh, like the day or two days before the half marathon. And we did this crazy. It was a half marathon, but I signed up for a 5K, a 10K and a half that all within four days. And um, my boyfriend, who was not planning on running the half at all, actually ended up running the half having having never run more than seven miles (laughs) because he was so concerned that I was going to fail in the middle of it um, from the pain without someone to cheerlead me after all that training. So I guess I have to thank him. Um, Yeah. Yeah. He's a keeper. Sounds like he's a good, he's a good one. (laughs) So did you do the did. 5K, 10K and half? Yeah, I went wow. back and forth on That's the crazy. better way to split it up. And in the end, I was so nauseous and nervous about the half. I I did what we all do. I procrastinated and put it off to the very last day. Was it virtual or it was um, like so in person? It was virtual, but a lot of people in my area were doing it which was kind of neat because we all had the t-shirts that were sent out as a swag beforehand and would wave as we went by Mm. each other. I think I probably went by four or five people who were doing the same thing. Yeah. That's so nice. That's awesome. You're cheering each other on. So you did it three days in a row. And how was it? Did you do some walk running in the half? Or, no, or did I did walk running. I did um, because I had trained that way and I was so sore. The 5K and the 10K I could, I did run, but I took a break. I'm trying to think, maybe around seven miles. And then I said, I can't take another break because I don't think that I will continue. 
Um, but we had walk run as a training guide pretty much up right till the end. And it was one of those typical like couch to half marathons, which was really, really good. Um, you know, it was fun to have seven minutes of running and then a minute of walk and then get like a day where you only had five minutes of running. And as you progressed, you're like, I'm never going to make it to 10 plus minutes of running, but it was very effective training. That's awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Unfortunately, I told my Amazing. boyfriend, I'm like, do you think we could do a marathon? He, he said, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah of course out. you I'll can have to on my own for that but uh... <laughs> uh we will cheer you on we'll be like the biggest cheerleaders if you decide to do it or what excuse me when you decide to do it <laughs> we will you guys be here are to, actually to cheer you great on. i um, but... have never met a group where whether you are a super slow runner super fast everybody cheers just as much for you no matter how much or how little you're doing it's phenomenal no I mean it is I mean we're all in different places I said there's no slow or fast there's just different paces you know and um I truly believe when we're out there like we're feeling the same thing we may be running different paces but we're experiencing the same thing so I know that you know everyone's in the depth of their pain cave when they're running races. And, you know, I would love for people to cheer for me. I, and I know where, what you were going through. I'm going to cheer for you. It's just so, and you know, it's so nice to have a goal and to train for something and to accomplish it. Um, yeah, it's just amazing. People can do amazing things and, um, I'll be the first one out there with a cowbell screaming my face off. In fact, it's actually more fun to cheer. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure <laughs> many people would agree, but it's just so exciting and fun to watch people achieve their goals. It's yeah, it's really, really fun. Um, are you going to sign up for more races or you're just waiting to see what happens? Rebecca? Oh, no. Can you hear me? I can. Uh, sorry about that. I don't know. Sometimes we get cut off frequently on this. On this. <laughs> um, I guess I was asking about if you have any more running plans or races or anything like bit long-term goals or anything like that. So I hadn't picked anything, but then there was um, the race that we all did for um, women and cancer. So yes. that was my 5k and now I have to pick something new yeah um I don't know what I'm gonna pick but the the crew so what I love about our group is it's such a great euphemism or example of how women can lift each other up so I instead of committing to a race I've sort of committed to the group if that makes sense and so when people are kind of pushing each other to sign up or everyone's jumping on something, I'm going to use that. So I'm just waiting for the next thing. Everybody, <laughs> everybody has all these marathons already scheduled, et cetera. So I guess I have to wait for the next group, um, group item. I, I might reach out though. Um, there's a lot of people who do speed work or training in between, which really isn't anything I've ever been interested in. But I might play around with that a little bit and get some advice while I'm waiting for the next big race. Yeah, that sounds that sounds really um, that sounds really worthwhile. Um, I like to encourage the idea of people getting run coaches, even though they feel like they're not quote unquote a runner. Um, if it's a hobby that you know you feel is important to you, like I don't think the pace at which you run should dictate that. Like if it's something you want to get better at, you enjoy your time. Um, it's good to invest in things. And so using some interval work or having some expertise in the field of like what your week can look like with like workouts and doing fast repeats of certain intervals and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's not for everyone. Some people just want to run and um, be in their thoughts. But yeah, you should definitely look into it if it's something that interests you. Yeah, I had an injury. I coaches are probably a great idea because from what I can see the people who have them are focusing on 
how to run better, but also uh, better for them. So more safe injury prevention, strength, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, you know, definitely into strength too. So Um, you mentioned your boyfriend a couple of times. Who is he and um, how long have you been with your significant other? Um, So he says if we ever get married now they do hashtags on the invitations and he's going to put our hashtag as uh resistance meets persistence <laughs> <laughs> so i've i've actually known him for a long time he's a farm d at the uh healthcare organization at yukon health and i met him first when i was a chief resident and for better or for worse, we both have kids, but our first marriages didn't work out. And he's a just a super nice guy. I think I walked away from my marriage thinking that nice guys didn't exist. Mm-hmm. And I have pushed him, pressed him, tested him, tried him. And nope, he's nice. <laughs> <laughs> he's, uh, yeah, he learned to cook with me because I like to cook. So I taught him to cook for his family. Um, he ha- He's very patient. He's very similar to, and I know this sounds awful, but my stepfather, who is just the greatest man I've ever known. And so it's kind of a nice way to honor his memory and the fact that I found a gentleman who takes care of me the way he did. Um, and it's, it's the first time I've really been in a relationship that is so even and so shared. Uh, he just is sort of like a quiet, gentle supporter in my life. Uh, he was up with me late night creating my promotion package when I went up for professor. I think it was every night until midnight for about a week and then a rush to change some things. And he's great with my kids and he has two great kids himself. So how old are his kids? So he has a 14 year old girl and his son is actually the exact same age as David. So luckily they get along. Yeah. (laughs) Are you living together or is that something you've decided not to do? So you know, as of yet? Oh, I, he would move in and get married tomorrow. (laughs) Um, I think my, my kids with everything with Matthew and my whole focus being on maintaining the boys close relationship through that, especially, um, with their father who didn't support them. My focus was really on that first. Now that that hurdle has been completed and I can see that Matthew's at college and they are still as close as they ever were, um, I will probably start working towards that. You know, it's a, I had no idea. I thought I'd been through some of the hardest things in life, but blending a family and trying to make sure that everybody has alone time with you, that is a safe space where they can tell you how they feel is, is a challenge and being able to not react when your 12 year old says, Oh, I like Kevin, mom. And I, the fact that he is good to you and loves you and you love him is so great to see. But you have to understand it's awkward that my mom has a boyfriend. Mm. <laughs> and you try not to have any reaction on your face and just be supportive and say yes when inside your body is screaming. I just want you to love him like I do. Right. Um, so it's it's been an, a nice exercise in self-discipline and listening versus talking. Um, but I found a good one. Yeah. So has it been the same awkwardness interacting with his kids too? How's that been? So I think it's going great. <laughs> I'm the best. I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they like me. And I, uh, I think it's the same situation. I think they like me. Um, and they're happy that their dad is happy. They say they haven't ever seen him so happy, but I think, you know, having been raised by a mom, uh, who was my, my dad left and then watching her find a man that made her happy, even seeing how wonderful that was for her, there was a time period where you have to sort of grieve the fact that you're never going to be the kid whose parents are still together. Mm -hmm. Um, and although it is much more I don't know about much more common now, but it's common enough that it's not a stigma. I think they're, I think kids always wish that they had the perfect fairy tale family. Um, So I'm hoping that I can 
get them on the side of we have a sort of atypical family anyways with friends and special people in our lives and it's just going to grow a little bit more. I wanted to circle back and talk about Yaya just because you mentioned her. <laughs> she seems like almost too good to be true. Is she have like kids that are friends with your kids or is she just like an amazing friend that comes and cleans out your closet and <laughs> does your errands and pick up, picks up your kids? Like that doesn't seem real to me. Uh, everybody needs a Yaya. I love myself a Yaya. <laughs> um, I like she is so Analia is a woman that I met when I was looking for a live out nanny right at the end of my pregnancy with David and she came in my house she answered an ad I only interviewed three people and the first two would have been okay she walked in the door she sat down in the living room with me and it was like Snow White the animals we had a couple of cats and dogs all came out of their crevices to meet her it was Matthew was Isabel came down the stairs, you know, met her and had a ball with her. <laughs> and I literally left like they were like little birds chirping around her head in my mind. Um, and she was our nanny um, and probably just my nanny for a year. And it was during the time when I knew I was probably going to be getting divorced. I had a newborn. I was a new attending. There was a lot going on and it really forged our friendship through this fire. She is a Latin American. She's from Uruguay originally. I have had the joy of supporting her along her journey for citizenship um, because she is American heart and soul with a nice uh, Latina flair. Um, and she, she is just uh She's just this wonderful woman. We we have our friends that we find for such different reasons. And she and I, I would say, had a lot of trust issues when we met each other. And having someone that you can trust 100% to tell you exactly what's on their mind is a phenomenal thing to have. Mm. Um, and so, yes, she she's wonderful. We have told uh, her husband and uh, my boyfriend that we need them to um, not live as long as we live so we can enjoy being in a retirement community together, just <laughs> creating <laughs> creating a lot of a ruckus. Uh, but she's one of those people you find in your life that you know you can call in the middle of the night and she's there. That's amazing. One of the other Mama Docs shared an article about how different life would be if we centered our main relationship on friendship and not marriage. Um, Meaning, you know, that, you, you know, there are people out there that um, have these unusual sort of life, life circumstance where they um, center their life on, on a friend, someone they are you know, not sexually active with, but just someone that they buy a house with and live with and, you know, live out their daily life with. And, you know, that your relationship just reminds me of that, that, <laughs> you know, I would I would honestly do it in a heartbeat. Um, <laughs> we have this phrase that we call pillow talk, which like you're saying for this article is usually this phrase that is between a husband and a wife as they go to bed at night from 1950. But for us, it means I'm going to tell you something now that is in a safe space. Uh, nobody should get their feelings hurt, but it also does not go beyond us. Mm -hmm. And we use it for everything from Today, she said, pillow talk, David really needs a haircut. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he's a hockey player. He likes his hair long, but he definitely needs me to cut his hair to, to pillow talk. I had a hard time with my husband last night to pillow talk. Um, I told her this morning, I said, I'm really missing Matthew. I can't wait for him to come home. And it's, I would love to read that article because having those women in your life, I had never experienced this in high school, a little bit in college with my college roommate, but having someone who cheerleads you all the time, but also tells you when you're wrong, but tells you with, with love is such a great growth experience. I can definitely see why living in a village of women would make my life so much easier. Right. We would get a lot of stuff done. <laughs> we would. <laughs> totally. I feel like I could talk to you for days if you gave me days. 
<laughs> but I just want to thank you so much for spending so much time with me. I mean, um, and being so honest and open with all your life experiences, um, it's really going to resonate with a lot of us, a lot of us going through so many things with our kids, um, so many things with this just political climate and sort of navigating relationships, navigating uh, career, um, going through uh, review and making full professor. We didn't even talk about it that much, but congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I don't know many women in their mid forties that are full professor. Um, and, you know, you serve as an inspiration for all of us. Um, and hopefully one day at one of these exciting, um, you know, mama doc meetings, I'll get to meet you, Rebecca. I mean, Connecticut's not that far away. How far are you from the New York City? Um, like an hour and a half. Okay. It's not far at all. Yeah, not, not far at all. But Well, I hope if there's anyone in our group that hears this and needs any help with anything, I would love to turn the tables and support. I found your group um, through Monica on Twitter um, for one reason or another, and I was really looking for a non-drama supportive group of women, and I found that in spades. So hopefully someone hears us and needs something in their life and I get to return the favor. Oh, that is so sweet. Thank you for your open heart. And I don't know how things happen. You know, the stars are aligned, but we find people through Twitter, through Facebook, through, you know, through this, this and this. And um, I really believe it that, you know, we can change lives. We can touch other people um, by just being open with each other. So thank you so much, Rebecca. Oh, thanks for having me. No problem. Um, have fun screening your hundreds of <laughs> <laughs> interviewees. I hope you find the good ones in there. Me too. Enjoy yeah. your weekend. Yeah, you too. Thanks a lot. Okay, Bye. Well, there you have it. Um, that was my conversation, Rebecca. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for making time and just for being so open with your story it's really going to touch a lot of people inspire a lot of people and um, really help them go through similar um, life journeys Um, i hope everyone's run is going well or your commute Um, and today i'm really hopeful it's been a really long time since i felt like this so let's just keep on going putting one foot in front of the other until next time girls Um, happy running bye Thank you.